Come on in and let's get started. My name is Mark Mullery. I get to serve as one of the elders at our church and I get to bring the sermon this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. We're continuing a series in the letters of John from 1 John 4. And uh, before we go there, I've got a, a couple things I want to say. First is um, there are 32 kids and eight adults at our 515 Reboot camp right now, and they'll be coming home, I think, later today. Is that right? Um, so we want to pray for them. And then second, um, we have this, as a church, we have this wonderful relationship uh, with this ministry partner, Rancho 3M, an orphanage in Mexico. We haven't been able to go for several years because of COVID. And uh, Edward, who prayed the prayer of confession earlier this morning, and I are going to take a trip there this week. And um, hopefully our youth group is going to be able to come uh, later in April. So I would ask if you could be praying for Edward and I as we just, he's never been there, we get a chance to, to connect or reconnect with, uh, with what's going on there. Um, and I also, um, during the time when we were singing, I had a distinct impression, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. And, and the sense was this, that there's someone here this morning, and as you're here, you're thinking, I don't really belong here. If people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't want me here. There's really nobody here like me. And I just had this sense that if, if, if that person is here, God would want you to hear what you're about to hear in his word, but, but through a voice as well. God loves you. And you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And we are so glad that you're here with us. You are welcome in this place. So let's just pause here and pray. So God, as we transition to your word, I pray for those teens at the camp this morning. I pray that you would reveal your love to them, saving love in Jesus Christ, sanctifying love in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would meet each one personally. I pray that you would help us be able to reconnect with our friends at the ranch and serve these wonderful orphans in this place where they're making disciples there. And I pray for that one person who might be here or might be online. I pray for a distinct experience of your great love today. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple comments and then we'll hear our text. I want to just ask sort of a rhetorical, well, duh, question. But has anybody noticed that we're living in a time when people are having a hard time getting along with each other? Like, there's a lot of angry people right now. And there's a lot of indignation and polarization. Outrage seems to be one of the, the big emotions of the day. I, I observe people sort of migrating into various groups or tribes affiliating with people that, that they're like getting their news and information from, from people that they like and then sort of building walls and moats around the, 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 those little groups. And what's happening out there in the world is pushing its way into the church. Tim Keller, who was a longtime pastor in Manhattan, recently retired, was asked about what he sees going on. And listen to his comments and see if, if this connects with you. He says, I'd say the culture is definitely more polarized than it has been. 
And I've never seen the kind of conflicts in churches in the past that we see today. He was a pastor for a long time. He said, I've never seen the kinds of conflicts in churches that we're seeing today. He says, in virtually every church, there's a smaller or larger body of Christians who've been radicalized to the left or to the right by extremely effective and completely immersive internet and social media loops, news feeds, and communities. People are bombarded 12 hours a day with pieces that present a particular political point of view and the main way it seeks to persuade is not through argument, but through outrage. People are being formed by this immersive form of public discourse, far more than they are being formed by the church. This is creating a crisis. And then he says, no, I haven't faced anything like this in the past. Now, I don't get out that much. I don't have the vista that someone like Tim Keller does, but I've been a pastor for 33 years, and I would say I completely agree. I have never seen anything like what I'm seeing right now. Nothing like it in my years as a pastor. There is this crisis of polarization. It's going on out in the culture, and it's pushing into the church. Have, have you felt this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does this resonate, this this pulling apart and pressing you to one extreme or another when where's where's the middle ground here how can we as a church how can the church broadly be a compelling alternative to the strife and the fragmenting that's going on in the world that we live in in a time of polarization and then throw a pandemic in on top of that, how can we, Redeeming Grace Church, how can we stay together as a unified, Christ-exalting, joyful, evangelistic congregation? How can that happen? This is a severe test. It's not unique to this congregation or to this area. But we know because of the nature of God, there's a way through this, don't we? And actually, we plan to do some teaching, we hope later this year, about how to engage this polarized culture. But for today, we get to listen to what God has to say to us in 1 John 4, and it could not be more timely. So with the backdrop of this crisis of polarization and conflicts. Hear God's word to us this morning. The text is 1 John 4, 13 to 21. I asked Bonnie if she could just, just nudge back two verses to verse 11 because I think those sort of set the table for what we're looking at in verses 13 to 21. So Bonnie Sanders is going to read our text for us this morning. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you, Bonnie. God is love, and may he make his love known to us through his word this morning. Verse 11, as I said a moment ago, sets up, I think, this passage. Let me read it for you again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is a helpful reminder. You know, John had to write this in the first century because sticking together in church in the first century was hard then too. In some ways there's nothing new under the sun. The love of God is key to churches sticking together and thriving in the midst of whatever's going on around them. Because when you open the door of your life to the love of God, the love of God comes in, that door stays open, and that love travels back out, and you're able to love your neighbor and the focus of this passage, your brothers and sisters. So what we want to do this morning is we want to consider how God has loved us. Keller was talking about this immersive experience people are having in internet and media experiences. Well, we want to immerse ourselves in God's word. And in particular this morning, we get to immerse ourselves in the love of God. So the first two points are going to just consider how we have been loved by God. Beloved, if God so loved us, well, how did he love us? How has he loved us? Let's ponder that and then take the implications and the, the response. We also ought to love one another. So first, God's love, how has God loved us? God's love reconciled us when we were his enemies. God's love reconciled us when we were his enemies. Now, where do I get that out of this text? Well, this will become evident when you consider the situation of believers, the believers John is writing to here and believers like, like us, and how they got to where they are in Christ. Now, where are these believers now? Look back at the text. Look at verse 13. It says in verse 13, we abide in him and he in us. We're going to pick up on this theme word, abide. It shows up in verse 13 there. Then it shows up again in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by the way, as the ESV that I'm reading from uses the word him there, God abides in him. That's inclusive of male and female. 
And so what does all this mean, all this abiding? God abiding in Christians, Christians abiding in God. What does this mean? We don't use this word abide a lot. It's come up through this, this letter a number of times. Abide, as we've said, means to dwell. It means to take up permanent residence. So when, when this says God abides with you or you abide in God, think about this. The maker of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe has come to make his home with these people. God abides in you. Can you wrap your head around that? He's come to take up his residence with you. And they've made their residence with him. This tells us that God is a relational God. He's a God of covenant. He's a God who's a father of a vast family. And I want to ask this morning, brothers and sisters, do you know God this way? Not just know about God this way. Do you know that you know that you know? This is a relational, experiential situation here. God abides in us and we in him. That's our position. That's also our experience. And if it is not your experience, that can change. I want to encourage you to call out to God and ask him to bring this home to you. But this is their situation. And how did they get there? This is how we're going to see the extraordinary love of God. There's a clue in verse 14. Did you see it in there? It says, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of what? What's it say? Somebody tell me. He's Send us in to be the savior of what? Of the world. Thank you. Do you if you were here, if we went through chapter 2, you may remember that we, we surveyed the world back in chapter 2. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You see, the, this is a real polarity. This is a God-given polarity. Do you see this one? This, you're either... The, it's, it's, you have the desires of the Father or the desires of the world, the love of the Father or the love of the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, here's the question. Where do you see yourself in this picture? If you're a Christian, you, you, you read this and you say, well, and I'm, I'm not supposed to love the world, right? That's what God's calling me to, to to, to live in his love instead. And that's true. But where did you start? You started right there. Every person who's a Christian, here's your biography. You were in the world. You were the world. Right? Because that's the only place, if God needs a pool of people to call to himself, where is he going to get them? There's only one place to go. It's the world, right? So that's your story. Whether you were five years old when you came to Christ and you mostly only remember following Jesus or whether you lived in utter depravity in outward ways, 
You were the world, and now you are in Christ. Now the love of God abides in you and you in him. God so loves the world, this world in rebellion against him, this world in which there is no love of God, this world with desires that run completely opposite to God, that he, he's going to judge this world. There will be a day of reckoning, but before then he sends his son to come into the world to rescue lost people and save them out of the world, and that's our story. Do you remember that about yourself? He reaches into a world of enemies and God-haters and rebels, and he gives the greatest thing that he has to give, his very own son. The son gives of himself. For who? For you, brothers and sisters. The powerful love of God made enemies like us into friends. And if you haven't taken some time to think about that and soak in that and immerse yourself in that, I want to urge you to do that this week. Again, whether you can remember a dramatic transition, transformation or, or not, our position in the world, that's where we all started. And God has so loved us. His, his love for us has been so fabulous, so powerful that we who were enemies have now become friends and family. Pray over this. Take, take these verses and pray over them. Consider where you were and where you are. Meditate on them. Memorize them. Ponder them. Chew on them. And you will find the love of God filling and, 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 and affecting your heart and your, your emotions. This is where we were. This is what God's love. If, you have, if God so loved us, this is how he loved us. And the second way that comes into view here is this. God's love banishes our fear of judgment. Look back at verse 17 with me, please. By this is the love, excuse me, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. What does that mean? Have we found a formula to get rid of all those things we worry about? All those anxieties that you brought into this meeting with you this morning, our phobias, things that, that, that stir up these, these panic attacks, all, all these things. Well, Day by day, by grace, we, we, can, we can slowly move away from those fears and grow in trust. But the, and the day is coming when we will be delivered from the experience of those fears once and for all. But this is a focus on a particular kind of fear, and that is the fear of judgment. Fear has to do with punishment. It has to do with this judgment, this day when we will give account to God, the day of judgment in verse 17. How do you feel about the day of judgment? Some carry around just a continual sense of dread. Many others of us can sort of have that just slip out of sight altogether. Little that goes on in our world reminds us that one day we're going to give account to our maker. 
many people experience actually no fear of judgment and no thought hardly of judgment at all. But you know, Jesus had a lot to say about the day of judgment. And his followers picked up on that and they had a lot to say about judgment. Peter, the apostle Peter preaching in Acts chapter 10 says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. There's a day of judgment coming. Who's the judge? Jesus is. Acts 17, Paul this time. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What's the day that's already fixed? Don't know when it is. Could be tomorrow. Could be 2,000 years from tomorrow. Don't know. But there's a day fixed by God in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And who will be the judge? The man whom he's appointed, the one he, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. So there is this judgment coming. We recite this in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is, this is foundational to the preaching of Jesus and to biblical reality. So I want to ask you, are you ready for the day of judgment? Are you ready for the day when the God who knows all your secrets, every thought, every word you've said, everything you've texted, everything you've looked at, everything you've done, are you ready to give account for your life to him? And when we begin to ponder the all-knowingness of God and the holiness of God, that can begin to become a fearful thing. I think something of that kind of fear of punishment is what comes into view in the garden when Adam and Eve sin, when the, they do the one thing God told them not to do, they eat from that one tree. Do you know what they do next? They sort of instinctively hide from God and clothe themselves in some way instinctively to protect themselves from each other. What's happening there? There's this shame, and they don't want to be exposed before God for who they really are and what they've become, sinners in his paradise. And that sense of that shame and that sense of hiding is a, is a, is, is a part of the human condition. And God, knowing that, seeing that and knowing our sin and fallenness perfectly and completely, being a God of love sends his son to be the savior of the world so that people like you and me have no need to be afraid of being exposed before God. Because if you are in Christ you have come into a right standing with God and the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you to cast out that fear of punishment, that fear of being exposed as a fraud, that fear of being revealed in all your failures. This word to, to uh, banish, this, th this word to cast out is the Greek verb 
balo. It means sometimes literally throw or throw out. Like if you've ever been to a game and somebody gets thrown out of the game, they get ejected from the game. God is saying, I want to throw fear of judgment out of your life because you have found a new standing. It's the standing that you have in Christ. We have this confidence because of Christ. As Christ is, so also are we in the world. This means that while we're here in the world, our standing before God, our position before God is the same as Christ. Do we still sin? Yes. Do we need to continue to confess our sins and seek to grow in righteousness? Yes, as we did with that prayer of confession this morning. And yes, as we're doing as we gather here today. But growing and putting sin to death and living to righteousness is different than having a standing that is right before God because Jesus is right before God and you are in him. That's how great his love is for you. So you need not fear the day of judgment because as Christ is, so also are you. Is What's going to happen to Christ on the day of judgment? He's going to lead a people into a new creation and you're in Christ. That's what's coming if you know him. And if you don't know him, it is a day to be feared. You will be exposed. And that day is surely coming. You say, well, I don't believe in a day of judgment. Well, that's right. That's a belief. That's an article of faith. That's a leap of faith. Can you prove that there will be no day of judgment? Can you prove that Jesus Christ will not be there to judge you? Well, you, you can't prove that. That's, that's a leap of faith to believe that. And you're betting eternity on that. Think about what you're hearing here this morning. The reason we sing, the song that we're going to sing after this message, no guilt in life, no fear in death, is because the power of God's love, the power of Christ is so Great that we have this new standing, this new status before him. And again, if you hear that and you think, I guess other people feel that, live in the good of that, have some sense of that, but, but you don't, I, I want to encourage you. You don't have to end your life in that place. You don't have to spend another year in that place. It doesn't have to go like that for you for the rest of your days. That can change. God gives us passages of Scripture like this to communicate to us and remind us He wants us to know His love, not just know about it. If, if you struggle with that, reach out to a friend. Reach out to a, 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 a trusted brother or sister. Reach out to one of the elders in the church. Vince has got this uh, Growing Your Faith class going on Sunday mornings. It's, it's for just for people like you so that you could come into knowing what it means to actually have a living and life-giving relationship with Jesus. We want to be a church where that's everybody's experience. And yet we know that we have these very varied experiences. And so part of the, the design behind a passage like this is to remind us and, and immerse us in the great love of God. Because sometimes we may know about it, but not experience it very, very strongly or very deeply. Let's be praying together as a church that this would be a season when, when we might experience God's love. And be a people immersed in that, encouraging one another in that. Because God has so 
loved us, brought us from enemies to friends, expelled the fear of judgment. Now, when we look to the end of our lives, you know, we, we look forward to being with the person we love, the greatest person in the universe, having this amazing reunion with all the family of God and spending eternity in a new creation that isn't broken and failing and mad and full of sin, that we're going to be delivered from all that. That's not something to dread. That's something we get to look forward to, all because of the love of God. Beloved, if God so loved you, this is for you. We also ought to love one another. Last point. God's love starts a chain reaction of love. Verse 19. We love because what happened? We love because something happened. What happened? He loved us. Doesn't start with us. We didn't initiate it. It starts with him. He created us. He redeemed us. He chose us. He sent his son for us. He gave his spirit to us. He loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so now, having been loved, we begin to love. God's love, as Justin said last week, comes to us like a river, and he's the source of it. If, you, if you're not in that river, you're not going to be able to love other people fully or adequately because love comes from God. And that river, Justin talked last week about that river having a, a headwaters. The love that we experience in the world starts with God. And, you know, sometimes at the headwaters to a river, there's often a spring. And with love, there's a spring that starts in the heart of God. So we were looking at during our Advent series. The heart of God is full of what one author calls self-giving affection, unselfish concern. God, his nature is to bubble up and pour out in love in self-giving affection and unselfish concern. And as we receive that, then that door that opens up in our lives to receive that, then it begins to flow to others. But sadly, it doesn't always work out so well came across this quote from a well-known author who recently passed away. Her name is Anne Rice. She became a Christian at one point in her life, and about 20 years after announcing her conversion to Jesus, here's what she said. Here's what she wrote or posted on Facebook. She said, Today I quit being a Christian. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being a Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed, I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. God forgive us when we're quarrelsome, hostile, and disputatious. God help us pass the test of love. We love because he first loved us, and then he gives us this test. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, is hostile, quarrelsome, and disputatious, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 
And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Hear this. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's a test. If you say you love God and hate your brother, John says, you failed that test. COVID, how many COVID tests have been taken? <laughs> you take a COVID test, what do you want to know? You don't want a spectrum. You want negative or positive, right? Okay, here's a love test. John says there's a negative and there's a positive. How are we doing? We passing the love test. You know, it's not hard to love people that you agree with about everything, is it? It's not hard to love people who love you back, is it? You know where the test is for us? How can you love the person that you don't agree with? And that's part of what's happening in churches right now. You believe everybody should be wearing a mask all the time. How can you love the person that thinks masks are from the pit of hell? Let's have a bonfire and burn them all forever. How do you love that person? So this is where the test is for us. It's easy to migrate into community groups with just people that you agree with. How do we love the people that we don't agree with? How do we make friends with and listen to the people that we differ with about vaccines or politics? I might get in trouble, but I'll just put one word out there, Trump. How, how do you love people who disagree with you about race and justice? How do people stay together in times of polarization? Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's easy to hang around with and, and, and associate with and migrate towards people that we like. I'm like that. It's fun. It's easy. It's comfortable. But the love of Christ is much wider than that. If if God's love was like that, we wouldn't be in the kingdom. We'd still be in the world. But he was willing to reach out and come get us out of his love. And so we want to love people. Let's pass this love test. Learning to love and listen to people who think very differently than, than us about these things. Or remembering, hey, dear folks at home, can't wish you were here. You're not. We miss you. We love you. And you're part of this family, and we're not going to forget about you. No member left behind. What does it say about the love of God to a watching world if Christians can't stick together during times like this? What hope does the world have if the church fragments, fights, and comes apart at a time like this? The church, listen, the church is what makes God and God's love visible to the world. God is invisible. How does he make himself known in the world? Christ is the head. The church is the body. The church is what clues people in and signals to people and teaches people and evangelizes people about what God is like we need the preaching of the gospel the word of truth about christ and we need it lived out in community 
revealed that it isn't just an idea, it's a reality. Has it ever been harder? I don't know. Things are getting hard in our lifetime. But I, I, I read church history and I think there's been lots of hard times in church history. It's, ne it's actually never been easy. Don't, don't idealize New Testament Christianity. John had to keep writing. Remember the dryer circling over and over? How many times does he have to say, God is love, keep loving each other. God is love, keep loving each other. Why do you think he has to say that? Because it's so crazy hard to do that, isn't it? Right? And that hasn't changed. There's nothing in that sense different or unique about any time or place or age. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we can because we've been so greatly loved. The love of God is greater than COVID. It's greater than politics. It's greater than all the issues that divide people today. The love of God is more powerful than all those things. It's the love of God that sent Christ in the world, raised him from the dead, and raised you from the dead, brought you out of the world and into his kingdom. And that's the good news that we get to proclaim and demonstrate as a community, as Emily reminded us earlier today. Beloved, hasn't God loved us? Wow. Soak in that this week. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life.